People say you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing, and it's totally true. And the reason is because this is so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It is really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, if you're not having fun doing it, and you don't really love it, you're going to give up. And that's what happens to most people. If you really look at the ones that ended up being successful in the eyes of society and the ones that didn't, oftentimes it's the ones who were successful loved what they did so they could persevere when it got really tough. And the ones that didn't love it quit because they're sane. Who would want to put up with this stuff if you don't love it? It's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of worrying constantly. And if you don't love it, you're going to fail. That was Steve Jobs talking about the importance of passion. And it's an excerpt from the book that I'm going to talk to you about today, which is I, Steve, Steve Jobs in his own words. So I counted the other day, and I think I've done 13 different podcasts on Steve Jobs. I will link them all with episode numbers in the show notes. Uh, most of those, he's the main character. Like there were biographies or books exclusively dedicated to him. In a few, it's about like his partners like Johnny Ive or like Ed Catmull at Pixar. But even after reading all these books on Steve Jobs, I didn't know the book that I'm holding in my hand even existed. I walked into a small used bookstore the other day, and about after an hour of just going through all their shelves, I walked out with six books for $23. I love used bookstores, and not only because they're usually fantastic values, but because you just find books that you didn't even know existed. And this book is a great example of that. It is about 120 pages long. It is just quotes organized by topic from Steve Jobs. So consider this a bonus episode of Founders. Most of this is just going to be Steve Jobs talking directly to you and I. And so I'm going to jump right in. He's talking about it's normal to have anxiety before you introduce a new product. He's talking about the way he felt uh, right before he debuted the iPad. And I thought this was remarkable because it's the last product he ever introduced. And you just think about how many groundbreaking products he had created up until this point of his career. And he's still anxious. Even though we've been using these internally for some time and working on it for a few years, you still have butterflies in your stomach the week before, the night before the introduction, the day before the launch. You just never know until you get it into your customers' hands. This is Steve on the fact that the core of your company is the quality of employee you have. He repeats this over and over again, that the founder's most important job is recruiting, is to assemble the greatest concentration of talent uh, that you possibly can. He says, all we are is our people. That's what keeps us going to work in the morning to hang around these great, bright people. I've always thought that recruiting is the heart and soul of what we do. This is Steve on Apple's DNA. Most of us can't wait to get to work in the morning, but it's not like Apple has somehow morphed into a mass market consumer electronics company. Our DNA hasn't changed. It's that mass market consumer electronics is turning into Apple. Then he talks about his goal has always been to be the best, not to be the biggest, not to be the first, to be the best. We're not going to be the first to this party, but we're going to be the best. And then Steve talks about what you do after you recruit great talent. It's not just recruiting. After recruiting, it's building an environment that makes people feel they are surrounded by equally talented people and their work is bigger than they are. The feeling that their work will have tremendous influence and is part of a strong, clear vision. Obviously, he means the founder is the one that sets that strong, clear vision. So he talks about recruiting usually requires more than you alone 
uh, can do. So I found that collaborative recruiting and having a culture that recruits the A players is the best way. Any person he's interviewing is going to speak to a bunch of different people in the company. And he says the, the reason he does that is because the current employees can veto a candidate. And then this is Steve on the importance of communicating a feeling to your customers. We don't stand a chance of advertising with features and benefits and with RAMs and with charts and comparisons. The only chance we have of communicating is with a feeling. And then he, uh, there's another quote on branding. This is actually from 1997, when he, just when he returned uh, to Apple the second time. What are the great brands? Levi's, Coke, Disney, Nike. Most people would put Apple in that category. You could spend billions of dollars building a brand that's not as good as Apple. Yet Apple hasn't been doing anything with this incredible asset. What is Apple after all? Apple is about people who think outside the box. People who want to use computers to help them change the world. To help them create things and make a difference. And not just get a job done. And this is Steve on what his company focuses on. We don't do market research. We don't hire consultants. We just make great products. And then this is about who he's building for. This, this is all the way back in 1999. I think this is one of his best insights, actually. The roots of Apple were to build computers for people, not for corporations. The world doesn't need another Dell or Compact. This is Steve on the importance of simplifying your product line. This, is, again, is right when he came back to Apple uh, he said this in 1998. What I found when I got here was a zillion and one products. It was amazing. And I started to ask people, now why would I recommend a 3400 over a 4400? When should somebody jump up to a 6500 but not a 7300? And after three weeks, I couldn't figure this out. If I couldn't figure this out, how could our customers figure it out? And then as we go through this, you're going to notice that he just has a handful of ideas that he just repeats over and over again in different ways. I was actually texting with uh, my friend Richard the other day because he was asking, he's like, why do you say on your podcast, like, repetition is persuasive? He's like, I have noticed, like, Jeff Bezos repeats himself a lot. And this is what I, what I sent him. I was like, nearly all the founders that I've read about have a handful of ideas and principles that are important to them, and they just repeat and pound away at them forever. And the fact that this tiny little book that you could probably read in two hours, it's just a great illustration of that because you can read it in such a condensed amount of time and you see him decade after decade just repeating ideas that are important to him. He'll, put, he'll place the ideas in different contexts. He'll apply it to different parts of the company. But there is just a small handful of ideas and principles that were extremely important to him. And instead of getting fancy, I think he just really focused on mastering the fundamentals of those core principles. This is one of them. He's talking about consumer product design, but really he's talking about his love of simplicity. Look at the design of a lot of consumer products. They're really complicated surfaces. When you first start off trying to solve a problem, the first solutions you come up with are very complex. And most people stop there. But if you keep going and live with the problem and peel more layers off, off of the onion you can oftentimes arrive at some very elegant and simple solutions. Most people just don't put in the time or energy to get there. And even that phrase, most people, he's constantly comparing and contrasting what his company does compared to what most other companies or most other people do. Most, company, most people quit. You know, he says half of what success, uh, separates the successful entrepreneurs from the unsuccessful ones is just pure perseverance. Most people don't like what they do. He says he loves, he has a passion, a deep desire for what he's doing. Most people, most companies don't put in the time and effort to actually solve the complexity and not just ignore it. He's saying he does. Most people don't focus enough on recruiting and having extremely high standards of excellence. He does. You'll hear this over and over again. 
And then there's just one quick sentence here that I really, I sat here and thought about this for quite a while because, you know, he's talking about, hey, it doesn't matter if I'm, working, I'm making an iPhone, I'm making an iPad, I'm making a computer, whatever it is. He's like, at the fundamental level, what are they? And he says, we make tools. That tool may manifest itself in different physical forms, but at its core, it's a tool. And that really resonated with me because that's how I think of founders. I think of it as a tool for working professionals. And what that tool does is it gets ideas from the history of entrepreneurship into your brain so then you can use them in your work. It just so happens that a podcast is a great way to achieve that goal. But I really do appreciate what he said. He's like, this is the focus. We're making tools. And then the book is obviously filled with maxims from Steve. Here's two of them. It's not done until it ships. That is his credo. And then another one of his, something he repeats over and over again, is the journey is the reward. And that quote is from 1983. But again, that's something he says, even as he knew he was dying, he talks about the journey is the reward. And in fact, that made me think of this fantastic interview that I just heard uh, with Ed Thorpe. Ed Thorpe, I've talked about a bunch of the podcasts as you probably know, but it's episode 222 if you haven't listened to it. He's my personal blueprint. He was on Tim Ferriss' podcast, episode number 596. But towards the end of the podcast, he talks about that a lot that you don't confuse the reward as the main objective. The journey is the reward. But listening to that podcast and hearing Ed Dorp at 89 just reaffirmed the fact that I, I really do think he's the blueprint. Going back to this book, we'll see that Steve's going to repeat himself here. This time he's talking about applying simplicity to the organization, like the actual structure, the way your company is set up. The organization is clean and simple to understand and very accountable. Everything just got simpler. That has been one of my mantras, focus and simplicity. This is Steve Jobs when he was still in his 20s, and he's talking about setting up App Apple as the David to IBM's Goliath. It's curious to me that the largest computer company in the world, IBM, couldn't even match the Apple II, which was designed in a garage six years ago. And so that's something he'll repeat over and over again. He's like, listen, it's not about the size of your R&D budget. Like, we out-innovated IBM, and we were just working in my garage. It's the quality of the people that you have working there. This is Steve Jobs when he was 30. Keep in mind, he's about nine years into Apple at this point. I think that's one of the Apple's challenges, really. When two young people walk in with the next thing, are we going to embrace it and say, this is fantastic? Are you going to be willing to drop our models or are we going to explain it away? And really, he's just describing what happened to him when he was younger. He went to Atari. He went to uh, HP. He was at one time the two young people that are walking in with the next thing. And so he knew from experience, you're more likely to actually dismiss it because you already have something that's working and you're focused on that. This is Steve on what's important to him. Being the richest man in the cemetery doesn't matter to me. Going to bed at night saying we've done something wonderful, that is what matters to me. This is Steve Jobs on design. In most people's vocabularies, design means veneer. It's interior decorating. It's the fabric of the curtains and the sofa. But to me, nothing could be further from the meaning of design. Design is the fundamental soul of a man-made creation that ends up expressing itself in successive outer layers of the product or service. That's incredible. I'm going to reread it again. Keep in mind, he's saying this four years before the iPhone comes out. Design is the fundamental soul of a man-made creation that ends up expressing itself in, in successive outer layers of the product or service. Here's another thought he had on design. Design is a funny word. Some people think design means how it looks. But of course, if you dig deeper, it's really how it works. The design of the Mac wasn't what it looked like, although that was part of it. Primarily, it was how it worked. To design something really well, you have to get it. You have to really grok what it's all about. 
it takes a passionate commitment to really thoroughly understand something. Chew it up, not just quickly swallow it. Most people, there's that phrase again, most people don't take the time to do that. And then this is his comment on the essential difference. This one really hit me hard. Um, and I've read a lot about both the creation of the Lisa and the original Mac. And he said the Lisa people wanted to do something great. And the Mac people wanted to do something insanely great. The difference shows. And then on these two pages, I essentially just underlined everything. This is about employee motivation. Everything here is so fantastic. So it says, we attract a different type of person. A person who doesn't want to wait five or ten years to have someone take a giant risk on him or her. Someone who really wants to get in a little over his head and make a dent in the universe. This is on maximizing employee potential. My job is not to be easy on people. My job is to make them better. And then this is on excellence. People judge you by your performance, so focus on the outcome. Be a yardstick of quality. Some people aren't used to an environment where excellence is expected. And then Steve talks about part of having an environment dedicated excellence means that the founder is going to have to do editing. And so this is on firing people. It's painful when you have some people who are not the best people in the world and you have to get rid of them. But I found my job has sometimes been exactly that, to get rid of some people who didn't measure up and I've always tried to do it in a humane way. But nonetheless, it has to be done and it's never fun. This is Steve Jobs on focus. People think focus means saying yes to the thing that you've got to focus on. But that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the hundred other good ideas that there are. You have to pick carefully. I'm actually as proud of the things we haven't done as the things I have done. Innovation is saying no to a thousand things. Then he extends this and he's talking about focusing on product. And so he's asked this question, what can we learn from Apple's struggle to innovate during the decade before he returned in 1997? He is answering this question in 2004. You need a very product-oriented culture, even in a technology company. Lots of companies have tons of great engineers and smart people. But ultimately, there needs to be some gravitational force. He's talking about the founder again. That's the role of the founder, right? But ultimately, there needs to be some gravitational force that pulls it all together. Otherwise, you can get great pieces of technology all floating around the universe, but it doesn't add up to much. This is another thought he has on focus, this time focusing on the right thing. Sure, what we have to do has to make commercial sense, but it's never the starting point. We start with the product and the customer experience. And then the note I left myself on that page was the founders with this philosophy, because he's essentially saying, yeah, it has to make money, right? But if you, you can't start with the, the, the goal in mind is I just want to make the most money. You start with the product and the actual experience that your customer has. And so this is my note. The founders with this philosophy wind up getting the money anyways. This is Steve on the role of the founder forcing the issue, the important issues in the company. What happened, he's talking about the design of the iPhone. What happened was the designers came up with this really great idea. Then they take it to the engineers and the engineers go, nah, we can't do that. That's impossible. And so it gets a lot worse. Then they take it to the manufacturing people and they go, we can't build that. And it gets a lot worse. Sure enough, when we took it to the engineers, they said, oh, and they came up with 38 reasons, meaning why I can't do it. And I said, no, no, we're doing this. And they said, well, why? And I said, because I'm the CEO and I think it can be done. And so they kind of begrudgingly did it. But then it was a big hit. This is Steve Jobs on the importance of forward thinking. What really, Why this really resonated with me is because he's saying this when he was 30 years old. 
He had no idea what the next 25 years of his career, what he was able to produce. His biggest hits were so far in the future. If you want to live your life in a creative way, you have to not look back too much. You have to be willing to take whatever you've done and whoever you were and throw them away. And that's why I think my favorite Steve Jobs biography is Becoming Steve Jobs, The Evolution of a Reckless Upstart into a Visionary Leader. It was episode number 19 because that's what the, the, the book is focused on. It's his transformation. The person he was at 30 is vastly different than who he's going to become when he's 45, 55. When he's the person that is capable, that has the skills and has built the organization to create some of the, the greatest products that, the hum that humans have ever seen. And evolution is a fantastic description of that process, of, his, of the process of Steve becoming Steve Jobs. This is Steve on goals. When we first started Apple, we really built the first computer because we wanted one. We designed this crazy new computer with color and a whole bunch of other things called the Apple II, which you've probably heard of. We had a passion to do this one simple thing, which was to get a bunch of computers to our friends so they could have as much fun with them as we were. And that's really important because he's saying, I wasn't trying to build the biggest company. I wasn't trying to build a trillion dollar company. It wasn't doing any of that. Those things happened later as a byproduct of what I was actually focused on, which is just building the best computer that I wanted to use. And then he has a quote about testing people and putting them under pressure to test them. This comes from the book In the Company of Giants. I read this book for Founders 208 if you haven't listened to that episode yet. Many times in an interview, I will purposely upset someone. I'll criticize their prior work. I'll do my homework, find out what they worked on, and say, God, that really turned out to be a bozo product. Why did you work on that? I want to see what people are like under pressure. I want to see if they just fold, or if they have firm conviction, belief, and pride in what they did. And then here's Steve on the importance of studying great ideas. Really, this is just a giant ad for Founders Podcast, if you really think about it. It comes down to trying to expose yourself to the best things that humans have done and then try to bring those things into what you're doing. Picasso had a saying, good artists copy, great artists steal. And we've always been shameless about stealing great ideas. And then he goes back to what are you focused on? What is your North Star? For him, it's very clear. I want to build great products. And in order to build great products, I have to build a great company that has the capability of building great products. My philosophy has always been very simple. My philosophy is that everything starts with a great product. I obviously believed in listening to customers, but customers can't tell you about the next breakthrough that's going to happen, that's going to change the whole industry. So you have to listen very carefully, but then you have to go out and sort, and sort of stow away. You have to go hide away with people that really understand the technology, but also really care about the customers and dream up this next breakthrough. And that is my perspective, that everything starts with a great product. Then he talks about the importance of hard work. Keep in mind, when he's writing this or when he's saying this, this is right when he came back to Apple. This is in 1998. He is already a billionaire. He did not have to do this. Pixar made him a billionaire. And so he says, I've never been so tired in my life. I come home at about 10 o'clock at night and flop straight into bed. Then I haul myself at six out, at, uh, out of bed at 6 in the morning and take a shower and go to work. My wife deserves all the credit for keeping me at it. She supported me and kept the family together with a hubs husband in absence. And then here's an example of something I love about Steve. He's a very clear communicator. I've, I've told you this before over and over again. I think he might be the, 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 the single the person that communicates the clearest out of every, anybody that I've ever read or studied. But he also has this like biting wit, very similar to Charlie Munger, but he makes you laugh. And so he's talking about the fact that when he first came back to Apple, 
he said that he was just the interim CEO, the I CEO, right? And this was hilarious because he he's referencing how bad a job that the previous CEO, Gil Melio, did. Some people worried about the word interim, but they weren't worried about the last CEO, and he wasn't interim. And then this is a quote that he was addressing when he was addressing Apple employees. This is the very early days of Apple. We have a major opportunity to influence where Apple is going. The work that the 50 people here are doing is going to send a giant ripple through the universe. I am really impressed with the quality of our ripple. I know I might be a little hard to get on with, but this is the most fun I've had in my life. I'm having a blast. This is on innovation. This is right after the great financial crisis in 2008-2009. So he's saying a lot of companies have chosen to downsize, and maybe that was the right, right thing for them. We chose a different path. This is, and this is the most important part of this paragraph. Our belief was that if we kept putting great products in front of customers, they would continue to open their wallets. And then this is probably Steve's most famous quote on innovation. Innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. And then Steve's going to say something here about insight that made me think of what Claude, uh, a quote that Claude Shannon said one time. So Steve says, I think the artistry is in having an insight into what one sees around them. Generally, putting things together in a way no one else has before and finding a way to express that to other people who don't have that insight. So I'll be back on Founders number 95. I read uh, the fantastic biography of Claude Shannon. And I think Shannon said something that speaks to Steve's obsession with only working with the highest quality people. And Shannon said, A very small percentage of the population produces the greatest proportion of the important ideas. There are some people, if you shoot one idea into their brain, you will get half an idea out. There are other people who are beyond this point, at which they produce two ideas for each idea sent in. And then back to the book, this is Steve Jobs on the importance of inspiration. The most important thing is a person, a person who incites and feeds your curiosity. And then this is Steve on the importance of having an inter interdisciplinary approach to your work. This is the first time in the book that he's going to mention his hero, uh, Edwin Land of Polaroid. And he says, I never believed that they're separate. Leonardo da Vinci was a great artist and a great scientist. Michelangelo knew a tremendous amount about how to cut stone at the quarry. I don't believe that the best people in any of these fields see themselves as one branch of a forked tree. I just don't see that. People bring these things together a lot. Dr. Land at Polaroid said, I want Polaroid to stand at the intersection of art and science, and I've never forgotten that. Edwin Land is an extremely, extremely important person in the history of entrepreneurship to study. If you have not, go back and listen to the four episodes, five different books that I've read on them. It's episode number 40, number 132, 133, and 134. This is Steve on the fact that the experience trying to build the iPad first is actually what inspired the iPhone. I actually started on the tablet first. I had this idea of being able to get rid of the keyboard to type on a multi-touch glass display. And I asked our folks, could we come up with a multi-touch display that I could actually type on? And about six months later, they called me in and showed me this prototype display. And it was amazing. I thought, my God, we could build a phone out of this. And I put the tablet project on the shelf because the phone was more important. And we took the next several years and we made the iPhone. And then he has this idea that on some products, you need to stop adding features and just figure out how to decrease the price so you can make it uh, more widely available to people. And this is about the iPod Touch. And so when they released that, they realized, oh, it's kind of like an iPhone without the phone. But what customers started using it as, in addition to playing music, is a gaming machine. And so he's like, oh, okay, 
it's actually the lowest cost way for customers to get into the app store. And he realized that's a big draw. That's a big market we didn't even think about. And so he said, what we focus on is just reducing the price to $199. We don't need to add any new stuff. We just need to get the price down where everyone can afford it. And then this is the way Jobs described himself. He was making this fake resume for, for one of Apple's products. And he said, I'm looking for a fixer-upper with a solid foundation. I'm willing to tear down walls, build bridges, and light fires. I have great experience, lots of energy, and a bit of that vision thing. And I'm not afraid to start at the beginning. This is Steve talking about his legacy, the legacy of Apple when he was 30. If Apple becomes a place where computers are a commodity item, where the romance is gone, and where people forget that computers are the most incredible invention that man has ever invented, I will feel that I've lost Apple. And this is Steve on why he wanted to build really simple products, products that, ne- that, did, that do not need instruction manuals. In fact, this is a lesson he learned 30 years previously when he was working at Atari, where the only instructions to one of their games was insert quarter, avoid Klingons. And so this is what he says. It's insane. We all have busy lives. We have jobs. We have interests. And some of us have children. Everyone's lives are getting busier, not less busy. You just don't have time to learn this stuff. And everything's getting more complicated. We don't have a lot of time to learn how to use a washing machine or a phone. This is Steve on making sure that your company has a point of view. This is absolutely fantastic. Macintosh was basically this relatively small company in California taking on the Goliath, IBM, and saying, wait a minute, your way is wrong. This is not the way we want computers to go. This is not the legacy we want to leave. This is not what we want our kids to be learning. This is wrong, and we are going to show you the right way and do it. And here it is. And it's so much better. And this is Steve on the importance of marketing. My dream is that every person in the world will have their own Apple computer. To do that, we've got to be a great marketing company. That particular quote was from 1987. He says that throughout his career in a a bunch of different ways. The way I found it and read it and interpreted it in the book was that if you truly believe that the product that you're making or the service you're providing makes somebody else's life better, then you have a moral obligation to get good at marketing. Because the better you get at marketing, the more lives of other humans you will improve. More of Steve Jobs biting wit. He talks about this and it's fine that Microsoft makes a lot of money. Good for them. I'm glad they're successful. That's not my problem with them. He says the only problem with Microsoft is they have no taste. I have a problem with the fact that they just make really third-rate products. This is the quote I referenced earlier about that uh, it's it's more important the quality of people you have as opposed to how much you're spending on R&D. Innovation has nothing to do with how many R&D dollars you have. When Apple came up with the Mac, IBM was spending at least 100 times more on research and development. It's not about money. It's about the people you have, how you're led, and how much you get it. So Steve said this all the way back in 1984, which is really fascinating because you figure how much Apple was still, you know, a couple years old at this time, but they already had this like bureaucratic creep uh, that just appears over and over again. It's just part of the nature of building a company. Sam Walton says, hey, you have to draw a line in the sand and keep uh, pushing bureaucracy across that line and just know that that's something that's like a never ending job. It's you're going to push it back. It'll slowly grow and then you push it back. But I I really liked what uh, Steve said here. The people who are doing the work are the moving force behind the Macintosh. My job is to create a space for them to clear out the rest of the organization and keep it at bay. This is the neatest group of people I've ever worked with. They're all exceptionally bright, but more importantly, they share a quality about the way they look at life, which is that the journey is the reward. Another thing that repeats over and over again. You see that? 
They really want to see this product out in the world. Another one of his most famous quotes, and I think founders understand this at their core, it is better to be a pirate than to join the Navy. And so I'm going to read this quote. This is actually, they cut off part of the quote because I really learned this lesson when I was reading that the biography of Johnny Ive. And it says, this is Steve saying why he's not going to build a netbook. Netbooks aren't better than anything. They're just cheap laptops. And so it actually gave me like a mental model to use because there's more detail in the, in the Johnny Ive book. So in the mid-2000s, like I think from 2004, 2007, somewhere in there, netbooks were like 25, 30% of the, the laptop market. They became quite large. And so everybody is, even within Apple, they're like, hey, we should make one. And Steve Jobs adamantly refused for that reason. He's like, they're not better than anything. They're just cheap laptops. And so instead of dedicating resources to making a netbook and just following on and making like a cheaper version of, uh, of, a, of a MacBook or whatever the case is, they directed resources at making the iPad. And so that gave me a model. I was like, wow. So everybody else was going in this direction because the market said, hey, look how many people are willing to buy a cheap laptop. And Steve's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to create a, a, a create an entire new category and just make something better than a cheap laptop. And so really the way I think about it is like, are you making a netbook or are you making an iPad? So this is Steve on new products. This is, I just re-listened to episode number 98. I think it's 98. It's the longest biography I ever read. It's the, the almost thousand pages on, on Enzo Ferrari. But what I realized um, is they talk about their products the same way. Ferrari would describe his cars as like the way you talk about like your lover. And so listen to Steve here. I've said this before, but I thought it was worth repeating. It is in Apple's DNA that technology alone is not enough. That, that it's technology married with liberal arts, married with the humanities, that yields us the result that makes our hearts sing. And nowhere is that more true than in these post-PC devices. And a lot of folks in this tablet market are rushing in and they're looking at this as the next PC. The hardware and the software are done by different companies and they're talking about speeds and feeds just like they did with the PC. In our experience, and every bone in our body says that is not the right approach to this. That these are post-PC devices and they need to be even easier to use than a PC. They need to be even more intuitive than a PC. And where the software and the hardware and the applications need to intertwine in an even more seamless way than they do on a PC. I just want to pause there because it just made me realize this as I'm reading it out loud to you. He's describing the advantage that his company and his company alone has and no one else does. And we think we're on the right track with this. We think we have the right organization to build these kind of products. And so I think we stand a pretty good chance of being pretty competitive in that market. This is Steve on the importance of not resting on your laurel. The way you and I usually discuss this is if you go to sleep on a win, you wake up with a loss. I think if you do something and it turns out pretty good, then go do something else wonderful. Don't dwell on it for too long. Just figure out what's next. And then here's Steve again describing what the only thing, what the capability that his company has that every single other company in the world lacks. Really, it's an echo of Edwin Land, his hero, his personal motto. He says, my motto is very personal. It might not work for other people. And it is this, don't do anything that someone else can do. And so Steve says, we're the only company that owns the whole widget, the hardware, the software, and the operating system. We can take full responsibility for the user experience. That's a fantastic way to think about it. We're the only ones that can take full responsibility for the user experience. We can do things the other guys can't do. 
This is another quote from Steve on passion. I already read at the very beginning of the, the podcast, uh, the longer quote on passion. This one's shorter, but just as good. You've got to find what you love. And that is as true for your work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. Don't settle. I love that quote so much. I didn't even, I just noticed what I'm doing. I'm sitting here punching my, <laughs> punching my heart with my hand as I read it. So I'm going to read it again in case I uh, caused my voice to change from hitting my chest. You've got to find what you love. And that is as true for your work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. Don't settle. That, that kind of reminds me of the advice that Jeff Bezos gives. He's like, you can find a job, you can find a career, or you can find a calling. And he says the same thing. He's like, just keep hunting until you find a calling. This is Steve Jobs on Perseverance. I already gave you the first half of the quote, but I'm going to finish the, the, uh, the, the rest of what he says. He's saying this all the way back in 1995. I'm convinced that about half of what separates the successful entrepreneurs from the non-successful ones is pure perseverance. Unless you have a lot of passion about this, you're not going to survive. You're going to give up. So you've got to have an idea or a problem or a wrong that you want to write that you're passionate about. Otherwise, you're, going, you're not going to have the perseverance to stick through with it. This book is in alphabetical order. So now we get to a couple of quotes on Pixar. It says, Pixar's by, uh, got by far and away the best computer graphics talent in the entire world. And it now has the best animation and artistic talent in the whole world to do these kinds of film films. There's really no one else in the world who could do this stuff. You see, he's using the same idea. He's describing Pixar, really the, the, the echo of the Edwin Land motto, don't do anything anybody else can do. He's like, Pixar is the only, ones, or it's the only company on the planet that has the skill set. He just got done you know, a few minutes ago saying Apple's the only one that makes the hardware, the software, the, uh, controls the operating system. He, that's the same idea, just applied to different domains. Don't do anything that someone else can do. And on the very next page, he goes back to the fact that the people at Pixar make all the difference. And really, you could think of what he's saying here. Like, in, in many times in business, if you just think about the own experiences that you have in your life, like bigness and greatness, you usually find them in conflict. Apple has some pretty amazing people, but the collection of people at Pixar is the highest concentration of remarkable people I have ever witnessed. Pixar is more multidisciplinary than Apple ever will be. But the key thing is that it's much smaller. This is what I mean about bigness and greatness are usually in conflict in, in when you're building companies, right? Pixar is more, much more multidisciplinary than Apple ever will be. But the key thing is that it's much smaller. Pixar has got 450 people. You could never have the collection of people that Pixar has now if, you have to, if it went to 2,000 people. This is absolutely fantastic. The heading here is priorities assessment, but really I want to, th the way I think about it, is what he keeps saying, like the journey is the reward, journey is the reward, like think about how you're spending your time. And so I don't know if you know this, but he met his wife. Yeah, he's not his, not his wife yet, what I'm about to read to, but his wife, Laureen, he goes to give a talk at Stanford, if I remember correctly, winds up meeting her, he's like, who's this beautiful blonde woman, gets her number, uh, winds up walking out, like saying, hey, you know, maybe we, we uh, want to take a dinner sometime or whatever the case is, gets her number because he's got to leave. And he's leaving his talk and going to a meeting. And then he thinks, what am I doing? This is really stupid. So he says, I was in the parking lot with the key in my car. And I thought to myself, this is so good. So good. All right, let me start over. I was in the parking lot with the key in my car. And I thought to myself, if this is my last night on earth, would I rather spend it at a business meeting 
or with this woman. I ran across the parking lot, asked her if she'd have dinner with me. She said yes. We walked into town, and we've been together ever since. That is fantastic. I thought, I asked myself, if this is my last night on earth, would I rather go to this business meeting, or would I rather go to dinner with her? Imagine if he, just the, the difference in like that one decision. Yeah, maybe he calls her next week and they're still together, whatever the case is. Maybe he forgets to because he's so busy with work. Whatever the, the case is. It's just like that is the perfect framework. If this was my last night on earth, this reminder of his own mortality comes up over and over again, way before he knew he had cancer. This is years before that. But he uses it as a way to try to figure out, like, to make the big decisions in life. And he uses it at work and personal life. It's just really... It was just really wise. I just love, I just love, I mean, I know this really doesn't have anything to do with work, but you know, your spouse is, is the, maybe the most, probably the most important decision, single decision you can make, right? And just that framework, just asking yourself, well, is this my last day? Is this my last night? Do I want to do what I'm about to do? Absolutely fantastic. All right, let's go back to products. This is uh, Apple, excuse me, Steve Jobs talking to Apple right after he came back, right after they fired uh, Gil Amelio and Jobs is now reassumed, assumed control of Apple. And he talks about what is the problem? And he says, it's the products. The products suck. There's no sex in them anymore. Goes back to this idea of the, he, the way Steve talked about his products, just like Enzo Ferrari, just like all these other people, it's not normal. And I think that's so interesting to me. He talks about it's in my soul. It's in my bones. It's my heart. You're an artist. You're a craftsman. He uses these words. Listen to what he's talking about. Now he's talking about the design of icons on a screen. Who talks like this? We made the buttons on the screen look so good that you want to lick them. And then he talks about the fact that designing up new experiences, new products, that's your job, not the customer's job. It's not about pop culture. It's not about fooling people. And it's not about convincing people that they want something that they really don't. We figure out what we want. I hit my chest again. <laughs> we figure out what we want. And I think we're pretty good at having the right discipline to think through whether, whether or not a lot of people are going to want it, want it too. That's what we get paid to do. So you can't go out and ask people, what's the next big thing? There's a great quote by Henry Ford who said, if I had asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. Oh my goodness. This is amazing. Again, repetition is persuasive. Two separate quotes. There's like five paragraphs on these two pages. I'm only going to pull out one sentence from each. There's two sentences, right? They're not next to each other. And it's the same idea. We're the only people left in the computer industry that can do that. That is in 1994. Ten years later, Apple is the only company in the world that has all of that under one roof. And I think the lesson there for you and I is figure out what your basics are. What are your fundamentals and master those fundamentals. Let's go back to Steve describing the process of building a product, again, it's, it's, it's like a love affair. This is all about the importance of quality. We just want to build the best thing we could build. When you're a carpenter making a beautiful chest of drawers, you're not going to put, use a piece of plywood on the back, even though it faces the wall nobody will ever see it. You know it's there. So you're going to use a beautiful piece of wood on the back for you to sleep well at night. That aesthetic, the quality, it has to be carried all the way through. Then he talks about the, his decision, which at the time everybody criticized. They're like, why is Apple putting their stores in these high-end malls? 
you know, why don't you just put them in like these big warehouses where everybody has to drive really far away? And that's where, you know, everybody else sells electronics. Why are you trying to do things differently, Steve? I don't understand. And so he talks about like, this is why I wanted Apple and high end malls. The real estate was a lot more expensive, but people didn't have to gamble with 20 minutes of their time meaning they'd have to drive out to these faraway places like every other, you know, computer, uh, like hardware store, whatever the case is. They only had to gamble with 20 foot footsteps of their time. They didn't have to gamble with 20 minutes of their time. They just had to give me 20 footsteps. This is the importance of always risking failure. He's saying this the year after he came back to Apple, and he's really describing, like, why is he doing this? I had a good life. My family's happy. They're seeing me all the time. Pixar's doing great. I'm now a billionaire. Why am I taking on this momentous task of turning around Apple? One of my role models is Bob Dylan. I learned the lyrics to all of his songs and watched him never stand still. If you look at the artist, if they're really good, it always occurs to them at some point that they can do this one thing for the rest of their lives and they can be really successful uh, to the outside world, but not be really successful to themselves. That's the moment that an artist really decides who he or she is. If they keep on risking failure, they're still artists. Dylan and Picasso were always risking failure. This Apple thing is that way for me. I don't want to fail. Of course I don't. But even though I didn't know how bad things really were, I still had a lot to think about before I said yes. I had to consider the implications for Pixar, for my family, for my reputation. I decided I didn't really care because this is what I wanted to do. If I try my best and fail... So what? I've tried my best. And then this is where he actually compliments Bill Gates, which is really surprising. Uh, this is really on just how bizarre. One, one, I think the lesson here is like if you can arrive at an insight before anybody else, like you can have a massive advantage. But two, it's also how bizarre like software businesses are. I just, if you remember, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, but I just did um, the Mark Leonard shareholder letters. Uh, I think it's like episode 246, something like that. And really a large part of those letters, just how the bizarre economic characteristics of software. And I almost did not put out, I recorded that entire podcast. I wasn't sure as I went through it. I thought there was good information in there, but I almost didn't put it out. And I'm glad I did because I've heard from a ton of people that actually like that podcast. But I just wasn't sure because I didn't really know who Mark was as a person. It's like, I'm just reading shareholder letters as opposed to a biography. And so I was like, all right, hopefully I, I get an insight into who he is, you know, as he as he's writing to his shareholder letters or his shareholders rather, but... Anyways, I'm glad I actually published it. So this is uh, Steve Jobs' insight onto what Bill Gates did. Bill Gates built the first software company in the industry. And I think he built the first software company before anyone in our industry knew what a software company was. And that was huge. And the business model they ended up pursuing ended up working really well. Bill was focused on software before anyone else had a clue. There's a lot more you can say, but that's the high order bit. And then he's going to talk about, really, if you, I've told you this before, but if you listen, I think it's episode 102, uh, Akio Morita, which is the, the founder of Sony, which is one of somebody Steve Jobs studied and really copied a lot of ideas from. Because if you could think about the iPod, what Steve made, is kind of like the digital version of the Walkman, which is one of the, the maybe the most successful Sony product ever. It sold like 400 million, million units or like just an insane amount of no, uh, numbers, especially bef like the pre-digital age. But what was really interesting is like learn from your heroes, but keep in mind, like you can compete with them, right? You can actually improve on what they did. And so that's what he's talking about. 
he learned their best ideas and then he corrected what he feels were their mistakes. What's really interesting is if you look at the reason that the iPod exists and that Apple's in that marketplace, it's because these really great Japanese consumer electronic companies who kind of owned the portable music market, invented it and owned it, couldn't do the appropriate software. So he's found a weakness. He's like, I can do that. They couldn't conceive of and implement the appropriate software because an iPod's really just software. This is the importance of story. He says, one of his famous quotes, Steve Jobs said, is like, storytellers are the most powerful people in the world. This is something he learned at Pixar too. We've pioneered the whole medium of computer animation. But John Lasseter once said, and this really stuck with me, no amount of technology will turn a bad story into a good story. That dedication to quality is really ingrained in the culture of Pixar. This is fascinating because this is after he gets kicked out of Apple. He's, uh, I think, 31 when he says this. I feel like somebody just punched me in the stomach and knocked all my wind out. I'm all, oh, so actually he's 30. I'm only 30 years old and I want to have a chance to continue creating things. This is the punchline. This is why I'm including it. I know, not I think, I know I've got at least one more great computer in me. And as we know, to benefit of hindsight, we, he had way more than just one great computer left in him. I love this. Optimize for survival. To win, you must first survive, or as Charlie Munger says, the survivors know. And so this is what Steve Jobs said. Victory in our industry is spelled survival. The way we're going to survive is to innovate our way out of this. This is Steve talking about the Think Different ad campaign that they came up when he came back to Apple. He's talking about this in 1999. He says, we have a problem. And our problem was that people have forgotten what Apple stands for. And so we, did, so we needed a way to communicate what the heck Apple's all about. And we thought, how do you tell somebody what you are, who you are, and what you care about? And the best way we could think of was, if you know who somebody's heroes are, that tells you a lot about them. So we thought, we're going to tell people who our heroes are. And that is what the Think Different campaign is about. It's about telling people who we admire. This is Steve on the importance of thinking through problems. And this is going to echo and sound very familiar with something that he's repeated previously that most people stop a few steps way too short. Once you get into a problem, you see that it's complicated and you come up with all these convoluted solutions. That's where most people start. Or excuse me, that's where most people stop. And the solutions tend to work for a while. But the really great person will keep going, find the underlying problem and come up with an elegant solution that works on every level. And then the next page, he's going to repeat something uh, that he says over and over again, the importance of time. How are you actually spending time? That's all life is made up of. Your time is limited. Don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. Hitting my chest again. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. <laughs> this is Steve Jobs on trash talking, which is hilarious. He's going to be talking to, uh, this is, he's telling the story, you know, probably 20, 30 years after it happened, but he's going to be talking to Adam Osborne, who was another computer uh, manufacturer and founder in the 80s. And he says, Adam Osborne was always dumping on Apple. He started joking about the Mac. And I was trying to keep my cool and be polite, but he kept asking, what's this Mac we're hearing about? Is it real? He started getting under my collar so much that I told him, Adam, it's so good that even after it puts your company out of business, you still want to go out and buy it for your kids. And then this is Steve reminding us the most important thing is the customer experience. 
At Apple, we come at everything asking, how easy is this going to be for the user? How great is it going to be for the user? And it's like at Pixar. Everyone in Hollywood says that the key to good animated movies is story, story, story. But when it really gets down to it, when the story isn't working, they will not stop production and spend more money and get the story right. That's what I see about the software business. Everybody says, oh, the user is the most important thing. But no one else really does it. This is Steve on Vision, but really it is another... It's another way that he's just reframing Edwin Land's idea over and over again. We're gambling on our vision, and we would rather do that than make Me Too products. Let some other companies do that. And then I love this quote because this came a few years, about three years before uh, the introduction of the iPhone. I'm always keeping my eyes open for the next big opportunity. I don't know what that next big thing might be, but I have a few ideas. I recently discovered this fantastic author that writes these like 200-page biographies. Uh, his name's Paul Johnson. I've read a few books on him. I would check out number 225, which is Winston Churchill, which I thought was fantastic. But he's, uh, he, I have a biography of his that I'm going to read on Socrates. And part of it is because this is what Steve Jobs said. I would trade all my technology for an afternoon with Socrates. This is on the conflict between working harder and growing older. I read something Bill Gates said. Uh, and he said, I, I worked really, really hard in my 20s. And I know what he means because I worked really, really hard in my 20s too. Seven days a week, lots of hours every day. But you can't do that forever. And then we'll close with Steve reminding us to always keep our minds open to the many possibilities. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again. Less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. In the beginner's mind... There are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. And that is where I'll leave it. I paid $2.25 for this book. It's crazy to me. I'll link it. It's probably more expensive than Amazon, but if you want to buy the book using that link, you'll be supporting the podcast at the same time. And the very best way to support the podcast is by giving a gift subscription to a friend, family member, or colleague. I will leave that link in the show notes as well, and it's always available at founderspodcast.com. That is 249 books down, 1,000 to go, and I'll talk to you again soon.